Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Hook Podcast Network. Hello, and welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. Dylan Hughes, in the tradition of throwing curveballs when you expect fastballs, did you see this play that happened in the Cubs-Pirates game today? I did not. All right, so I'm going to share my screen. I actually pulled this up just in case you hadn't seen it. So, okay, we're going to full screen this real quick. Um, I'm going to mute it for myself. And then let me go ahead and share my screen so that way you can see this. I want you to narrate for the podcast audience at home what's going on. So, okay, I'm going to start the video. Okay. Pirates pitcher winding up. Uh Okay, so we got first baseman for the Pirates. He's chasing the guy down. The guy, the Cubs guy going back to – oh, my God. Okay, there's too much happening. I'll just narrate. I'll just say after. So, okay, okay, so basically let me continue narrating. So they so they try to initiate a rundown, and the um, first baseman throws it to the catcher. And the catcher, you know, the guy slides in from home from second base on a grounder to third base, and then – he the catcher throws it home. Javi realize Javi Baez realizes he has the uh, advantage. Okay, shoot the wrong wrong button. But Javi Baez realizes he has the advantage. He runs back to first base. Dylan Hughes, did you notice how many outs there were? I did not. There were two outs. So all he had to do is step on first. That's all he had to do. <laughs> that might be the worst play I've seen in the history of sports. You know, I don't know how good the Pirates are this year because I don't really look at baseball standings very often. But I'll just say, as a as a Reds fan that has to deal with with uh, chaos every year, it's it's nice to know that the Pirates are usually worse off. I don't know if they are this year, but in years past they have been. So that at least gives me a little bit of comfort. <laughs> so just to, just to recap, just in case you didn't see it, our our recap wasn't clear enough. <laughs> Grounder to third base. The third baseman picks it up, throws it to first. Javi Baez stops, initiates a rundown. The the first baseman chases Javi Baez down the first baseline, the opposite direction of the base. Meanwhile, there's a guy running from home or running from second base to home. The first baseman throws it to the catcher. The catcher tries to tag him. The runner is ruled safe. There's no one covering first base. Javi runs the first base. The, um, The shortstop, I believe, Goes to cover third base, but the catcher's throw misses him. Goes into the outfield. Javi Baez ends up at second base. The Cubs score the most, like, probably the most improbable run (laughs) in the history of baseball. What the fuck? (laughs) You're lucky you have to play in a division with these. You get to play in a division with these guys. You know, luck for the Reds means nothing. um, So I don't really care about that. But, uh... You know, they're going to end up losing to the Cardinals at the end of the season, so nothing else matters. But, yeah, having the Pirates to beat up on, on a little bit, uh, it does give a little bit of comfort. <laughs> so <laughs> I wanted you to see that because I wanted you to appreciate how bad that was. But this is, this is a basketball podcast. But I, I felt like we couldn't – I felt like I couldn't not use that as the curveball today. I really couldn't. I wanted to send it to you, but then it ruins the element of surprise. So I, I couldn't do that in good conscience. But, folks, we're here today to talk about the first round of the NBA playoffs. Um, there's been a few games so far. We've obviously – we Caleb Lynn is going to be handling the uh, Miami-Milwaukee series, the Portland-Denver series, the 
um, Boston and Brooklyn series. And what else am I missing? He's going to be covering the Phoenix and LA series. So we have the other four. Um, those guys haven't played since Caleb and I and JD recorded our last Insanity yesterday. Um, but so we're going to be covering the Knicks and the Hawks, the Clippers and the Mavericks, the Grizzlies and the Jazz, and unfortunately the Wizards and the 76ers. Somebody had to do that series. Dylan, thankfully, t- we had really two shitty choices at the bottom of the East. But hey, we had to take one of them, right? So, um, Dylan, I think it, it's safe to say we want to start with the Clippers, right? Or I want to, you want to start with the Clippers. I'll, I'll ask that. Yeah, man. Let's let's get it all out. <laughs> let's get it all out. So the clip, the Dallas Mavericks are currently up 2-0 against the Los Angeles Clippers. Um, also, we have a theme for today. It's been two games, but we're over. We're basically overreacting, doing wild overreactions. Um, Dylan. The first game, the Mavericks won 113 to 103. And then um, on May 25th, Tuesday, they won again, 127 to 121. Game three, I believe, is relatively, it should be either tonight or tomorrow. I don't quote me on that. But um, Dylan, what is your overreaction from this series? <laughs> I just think Kawhi and PG aren't enough. I can't believe that that's actually a thing, but it's becoming pretty clear that they are not enough. And you know, what's funny to me is listen, I I have to admit that I'm a coward because I have documentation of my Mavericks love going back to the beginning of this season and actually the end of last season, because I mean, I, I thought, and I still think now that if Porzingis didn't get hurt, they would have beat the Clippers last year too. And I said, I'm like, you know what? Give them one more guy and they're going to be a finals contender. And, you know, I was hoping Josh Richardson would be that guy, not turning out to be the case. Um, So they're still in search for that third guy. But I just somehow this season, the Clippers, I talked myself back into the Clippers and I'm like, you know what? I can't, I can't doubt these two guys. And it hasn't been their fault, though. I'm putting all the blame on Marcus Morris mm. because Marcus Morris was good last year in the playoffs, like pretty damn good, I would say. Like he was pretty consistent, pretty reliable. He has been garbage this, this first two games, 30% from the field, just been useless. And that's what I've, I, I think I said a few weeks ago, it may have been when we talked about the Clippers last, that I'm at a point where I trust Morris more than PG. And I was proved an idiot for that because, you know, good on PG. You know, he had a tough first half in game one, but ever since then, he's been really good. Morris has been awful. And this is, I think, shaping up to what I thought the Lakers season was going to be last year, where I thought LeBron and AD weren't going to be enough, but they got just enough from everyone else around them where it worked out. And I thought the same thing was going to happen for the Clippers this year, where you were going to get a nice mix of contribution from everyone else, including Morris. And through two games, that has not been the case. He's been he's been really bad. This whole team has been really bad. I can't disagree with you on Morris. I actually went back. I told you before the show, I went back and listened to our Clippers segment. I didn't finish it because I just was like, this is too embarrassing for us. But Morris has been really atrocious. He like. But he's not the only one, right? Reggie Jackson's been awful. Um, Batum, Batum's actually probably been their third best player, I'll say. But 
Rondo, Rondo has been really good for them, but I mean, I don't know how much Rondo can give you at this point. Right. Beverly has been absolutely abused on defense abused. Like Luca should be arrested for harassment for what he's <laughs> doing to that man. Like he is, he is calling him out. Zubak has been exposed on switches. I mean, and I've, I'm a really high on Ty Lue, but he hasn't played Terrence Mann much of it all. Terrence Mann has played 15 minutes the whole series, and much of that came. I'm pretty sure 14 of those minutes came in Tuesday's game. Terrence Mann, you know, we were really high. I, I was really high on Terrence Mann. I don't remember how high you were on Terrence Mann, but he's real. like he was a re- really good energy guy, and he's like pretty much their only practical use of getting to their rim. That actually leads me to my overreaction, which is you got to just blow up this team. This team can't win shit. They this team will not be together this time next year. I, I guarantee you the first day of the offseason, Kawhi Kawhi opts out of his player option in the offseason and he's gone. The, it just doesn't work. And this will be my only criticism of Kawhi. He just can't get to the rim enough to justify building the whole team, you know, around his talents. Like, or rather, you can't fit him as a square, square peg in a round hole. That's probably a better way to put it. He, you need to put him in a square hole, right? Like he needs to be like LeBron, right? LeBron, the beauty of LeBron James is that he can conform to his situations and make chicken shit or chicken salad out of chicken shit, right? Kawhi, Kawhi just can't do that the same way. And I, it's sad to say, but like that Toronto team was sacked in 2019 and he did, he played really well, right? I can't discount how well he played. He won them that second round series against Philadelphia. Philadelphia. He won them that conference finals against Milwaukee. Hell, he basically won the series against Golden State until game six when Kyle Lowry carried him over the finish line. But this this isn't the Raptors, man. <laughs> they might have Serge Ibaka, but this isn't the Raptors. Reggie Jackson gets lost so much on defense, dude. Uh, you just watch him on defense. And, you know, I'm like, maybe I was wrong about Reggie Jackson. Newsflash, I wasn't. <laughs> I wasn't. I was wrong for thinking I was wrong about Reggie Jackson. Like, he gets lost so many times on defense. He, they're playing him in crunch time. And then Morris hasn't lived up to the expectations of his contract that he got. And, you know, he was really good last year. I don't know what the fuck happened. And then Beverly is supposedly one of the best defenders in the league. You can't play him. Zubak, you can't play him at all. Like, I, Dylan, this team is just, I just don't see any way this team can stay together next year. Like, it's really bad. Yeah, I was thinking back to Kawhi's earlier days in his career, and he's had the most success when he's had elite shot creation around him. You know, Toronto, Kyle Lowry, San Antonio, obviously all the Hall of Famers on that roster. Like, he was he was always set up by someone else. And in Toronto, he was a little bit more in control. But having Lowry there, you know, took a lot of the pressure off him to create – and I mean, Lowry was the perfect fit for him because Lowry doesn't care about scoring, but he can when he has to, right? Like he's, but a lot of times he's more interested in, in getting other guys involved. And this team doesn't have anyone close to that. I mean, <laughs> I was texting Caleb Lynn yesterday about the Clippers, who he is very anti Ty Lue right now. I'm sure he told you the same thing. Oh, he's been on my ass. Listen, Caleb. Okay, let me let me just address something to Caleb real quick. All right. He's been bad. He is not the reason for all their issues going on. Okay. Well, I just needed to take a second to address Ty Lue real quick. Continue, Dylan. I'm sorry. I mean, yeah, just, just to go off that, though, like, 
you know, t- this is Ty Lue's first season as the coach, and they've made some changes in the offseason, but, like, there's only so much change you can make in one year. And I think for Ty Lue to have a, a good enough roster around these two guys, like, it's, it's going to take time. But as you said, who knows where we'll be in a few months with this roster. But I just think, you know, Kawhi and PG – like the assist numbers are fine, but it's very clear when you watch the games that they are interested in getting their own shot. And I think that's what's kind of hurt these other guys around them where it's just, it feels like a two man show. And, you know, you, when the defense collapses on, on the ball handle at the end of games, you got to have those guys make plays. And if they've barely been involved all game, it's just tough. And, you know, I think that's another reason why the Lakers are much better is because LeBron, he gives everyone touches. So, you know, when they need to hit a shot at the end of the game, they feel comfortable. And Kawhi and PG just feel a little bit too much like they're putting the team on their back. And I don't really blame them for that. Like there's they don't have really another option because, again, Morris has sucked and everyone else. It's just hard to hard to rely on them like. We know what Reggie Jackson is. We don't need to go into that. But, like, Pat Bev is just an off-ball guy. Like, he's he's not really a creator. He's going to hit open shots, and that's kind of his game. And, you know, Rondo, like you said, it's just what can he do at this point? Like, he's, he's still fine when he's on the floor, but it's just a limited ceiling of what he can give you anymore. And, you know, Luke Kennard's not getting any run. Like, that's a guy that I feel like would have an impact because he can actually, you know, create some, he can kind of carve out some space and open things up a bit, but he just hasn't got much run this year. Um, And I mean, Terrence, man, like, I don't know. I don't think he solves any problems either way. He's just, he's, he's another off ball guy. It's like, he's, he can do some stuff on his own, but I don't think he's changing much. So it's just very clear that they need a point guard to set them up. I mean, let's go back to Paul George too. Paul George was good in Indiana where they didn't really have a true point guard. But Russell Westbrook, man, he was an MVP candidate that year before he hurt his shoulder. Like, I don't. I, what else do you need? Like, these, these two guys have proven over their career they're much better when the concentration isn't all on them, when it's a little bit more spread out, when they can be set up by other guys. And this Clippers team is just not built that way. And we, we got to talk about the Mavericks at some point because – They've been phenomenal, right? I don't want to take away from them at all. But, I mean, the Clippers did this to themselves, and Kawhi did this to himself. Let me start with the second one first, okay? Kawhi did this to himself by not only, you know, leaving a better situation in Toronto, right? Which, you know, I understand the reason why he wanted to live in and play in Los Angeles, right? You know, I mean, it's a lot closer to San Diego, you know, where he's from. Um, You know, he doesn't like the cold, famously. <laughs> the three places he's played in his career, he's played in Texas, he's played in Los Angeles, he's played in Toronto. What do uh, Los Angeles and San Antonio have in common? They're warm. I mean, I understand those factors, right? But you got to think with your legacy on the line, man. Like, you got to think like, hey, my legacy's on the line. I need to win. I need to either stay in Toronto or go join LeBron in LA. And I could, like, I understand, right? The human part of me empathizes with him and be like, okay, you know, you don't want to be LeBron's second banana, right? Who does? But at the end of the day, people are going to laugh at you because you left the Raptors to join the Clippers, 
when the Raptors the next year won 50 some games without you. Right. And then you are, you aren't going to make it to the conference finals in your second time around. You don't even make it past the first round. I don't know if the Clippers are going to lose this series for sure, but it sure feels that way after two games. It doesn't feel like they can stop the Mavericks at all. And that actually lends me to my first point. The Clippers did this to themselves too. They purposely tanked. They're like trying to avoid the Lakers, right? They try, you know, they're like, okay, hey, we don't want to play. We don't want to play the Lakers in the second round. So we're going to tank and we're going to avoid. (laughs) We're going to avoid the Lakers and we're going to play the Mavericks in the first round, which Dylan, I think you and I would both agree. You and I probably both have been saying all year, the Trailblazers are an awful matchup. But all right, let me say the Trailblazers match up awfully with the Clippers. Awfully. Like they can't guard the Clippers at all. They don't have the capacity. The the Clippers issues on offense wouldn't manifest themselves against the Blazers at all. Right. But instead you choose to play the team with Dorian Finney Smith, Josh Richardson, Tim Hardaway, basically the team with wings that can take away your actions, and the team with Luca who can do whatever the fuck he wants at this point. Like the Clippers did this to themselves. And let's just go to the Eastern Conference, right? You know, a lot of people are like, well, why didn't the Bucks lose to the Heat? You know, they they should have avoided the Heat in the first round. But look at how that's going for them right now. Obviously, game two tips off in about an hour. This will be coming out on Friday, right? But look at how that second round, look how that first round series is going for the Bucks right now. They weren't scared of the Heat. And look at what they're doing now. And the, the Clippers were scared of the Lakers. And they're paying for it. Yeah, I mean, they – everything about this Clippers team is just funny because it, there's almost like an arrogance to them, and it's just not – it does not show up at all on the, on, on the floor. It shows up on paper, not on the floor. Um, and, you know, on the flip side, like Dallas, their arrogance shows up, man. Like, let's – I mean, let's talk about Luka, obviously. Like, the kid, the kid doesn't care. I mean, he has been wiping the floor with Pat Beverly. I mean, I, I keep seeing him call him too small, and I wonder if it's the same clip. It's not. He just says it every time he scores on him. Too small. I mean, that's that's just so – that's got to just emasculate the hell out of Pat Bev <laughs> just to get scored on Luka over and over and over. And, listen, I talked about this, I think, last year, or maybe it was the beginning of this season. The thing I – the thing about – Dallas is so tough to guard is that Luca gets in the paint and just creates so much havoc and attention that it just opens the perimeter up for everyone else. Tim Hardaway Jr. is shooting 65% from three on 8.5 attempts. And granted, some of those are his own created shots, but a lot of time he's just working off of Luca and he's getting just easy money looks. Maxi Kleba had a bunch of open looks last time. Jordan Finney-Smith had some in the first uh, game. Porzingis. It's like everyone's getting open looks because of Luka. So, basically, the Dallas offense is, okay, can Luka get to the rim? No. All right, he's going to pass to someone else, and they're going to get an open shot. Like, that's that's as simple as it is because the defense can never control both. You have to pick your poison. Do you want Luka to have a shot at the rim, uh, or are you going to double-team him and make him pass it? Because he's going to find an open guy. Unless you're able to swarm him and get the ball out of his hands, he's going to get the ball. He's going to pass it. And, you know, this 
the thing with and Rick Carlisle has done this before Luca too, but there's always two ball handers on the floor. So you can take Luca out all you want, but Tim Hardaway Jr. can beat you. Jalen Brunson can beat you. You know, Josh Richardson in small samples can can beat you. Um, so this team is just built to to get to the rim and to shoot, hit open shots. And I actually don't think the Clippers have even played that bad a defense. It's just to defend this Mavs team, you got to be locked in at all times and you can't make a single mistake. Otherwise, you're giving up a shot at the rim to Luka or an open three to someone else. And I saw a report today that the Mavericks aren't running plays because Rondo knows all the plays. I think I sent you that, right? I'm pretty sure I sent you that. Like, do you realize how crazy it is that they're basically freestyling out there? They're just giving the ball to Luca and say, LOL, fuck it. They, okay, this is my overreaction for the Mavs. Because I, I did an overreaction for every team. I don't know how you approached it. My overreaction for the Mavericks was that Luca might be a top five player right now. Like, he he's not even doing the best of his capabilities right now. He's missed eight free throws. He's missed more free throws than he's made in this series. He is turning the ball over a lot. <laughs> he's averaging five turnovers a game. He traveled a couple of times. He's overthrown a guys a couple of times. It hasn't mattered. He's been that great. And he's basically doing his best LeBron impression right now. And the Clippers just basically signed themselves up for this. And they're like, hey, let's, <laughs> we're not, we don't want to face actual LeBron. So let's face a pretty close approximation of him. <laughs> like, Luca's obviously not as athletic as LeBron, right? Obviously. But damn, he rebounds, he assists, he's scoring phenomenally at this point. Like, I think all the questions about Luca's like mid-range shot need to be put to rest. Like, he is just getting whatever he wants. That step back is damn near unguardable at this point. Like, and it's not crazy to say that Luca's been by far the best player in this series, right? Like, I'm not crazy for saying that. No, I've thought it too, and I've been wondering about where he ranks in the grand scheme of things because. I mean, again, there's it's only two games, but, you know, winning a playoff series is the first start. And we did this with Jokic a few years ago, too. Like, once he can prove himself in the playoffs, then we can talk. And Luka, he did that last year before, you know, again, they lost the first round because of injuries. This year, so far, looking like you're going to win at least one round. So, and what would they play? Uh, who would they play next round? Utah? They'd play Utah or Memphis. Okay. I mean, that, that man. If that's they play a bad Utah, matchup that's, for Utah. That's a bad matchup yeah. for Utah. That, first of all, that would be a three-point shooting bonanza. <laughs> that that would be really fun to watch. Um, but, yeah, they, I mean, gosh, it's it's so tough to rank guys anymore because these young, these, I mean, fucking 22 years old, are you kidding me? Just ludicrous. And, gosh, it's like. If you can if you can take Kawhi and Paul George on and say, yeah, I'm the best player on the floor, I mean, that's that's like Hall of Fame first ballot material right there. Like Kawhi's not even playing that bad of defense on him. Like when they switch on to him, Luka's just better. And you have to give Luka credit for that, right? Like Kawhi's defense isn't where it was, you know, a few years ago, but you still had him on your all defense team. I considered him for my all-defense team. We're not talking about a slouch here. We're talking about someone that physically should be able to match up with Luca, but he just can't. And so, okay, you know, I, I showed you my list. You know, I don't think you saw all of it. I'll show you the um, 
the doc later or the sheet later, but coming into the playoffs, I have, uh, I have Luca as my 11th guy. And after two games, he's definitely hopped into the top seven and he probably will be in the top five if he makes it to the conference finals. Like he's just been absolutely unstoppable so far. I really want to see Lakers Mavs in the conference finals. I didn't think I was going to say that, but that might be the best matchup we, we have at this point because Luca's just that fucking good. And could you imagine if he had the caliber of teammates that Trey had in Atlanta? Like, could you imagine? Like, Luca's doing this with, and this is no disrespect, but Dorian Finney-Smith is no one's idea of, you know, great player, right? Like, Josh Richardson is no one's idea of ideal six man. Hell, like, if he had, <laughs> if he had, like, some of the Orlando role guys around him, like, like if they traded for Terrence Ross instead of J.J. Redick, something like that. I just like this team could be so much better, but it doesn't matter because Luke is that good and he's doing it in the West. He's doing it in the West. Yeah. That's what's scary. And like, I don't want to look too far ahead, but the Mavericks for years, even after they got Chris Tapps, like they've still been in the market for another guard and they haven't gotten it. They were going to get Malcolm Brogdon when he was a free agent. Terrence Ross has been mentioned like, man, it's it's really interesting to you, think where they could go in this summer. If I was them, I would have gone the full, done the full court press to try to get Eric Gordon. I think Eric Gordon would have fit this team like a glove. Mm-hmm. Interesting. But I don't know Eric Gordon's health. I it seemed like a situation where he just didn't play because he didn't want to. I don't blame him. Yeah, but I, I can't say for sure. I'm just you know speculating. But if Eric Gordon was healthy and on this team, he would be perfect. <laughs> For the Mavericks, they need something, right? Because Josh Richardson, unfortunately, didn't work. And I think they would have probably been better off keeping Seth Curry. We see. Yeah. Yep. But hell, like, again, the fact that Luca can rise above <laughs> and just be like, hey, I through sheer force of will, I am going to lead this team, you know, to the promised land. Like, it's incredible. I mean, this is legit. I wasn't buying all the hype, right? Like I wasn't buying all, you know, oh, this guy has a chance to be a top 25 player of all time, right? Like that's such high praise for a 22-year-old. But I'm starting to see it. Like if he keeps this trajectory up, I mean, the, Dylan, the sky's literally the limit. Like this is the kind of starts that top, top like 10 players of all time get off to. Yeah, he's got, he's got himself off to a good start for sure. And that's, that's why, like, I think the Mavericks really need to uh, put the best roster around him. They've done a good job to this point. But, man, I just think this summer is, is fascinating because Tim Hardaway Jr. is a free agent. So, you know, bringing him back limits where you can go elsewhere, right? And, like, unless they pull off a trade of some sort, I don't know how they could get a better guard without moving him, which sucks. Uh, but you know, the, the toughest thing for them is poor Zingas is just not really living up to his contract. I mean, this season, he's just been so up and down and like this past game, he was really good, but he's almost like the icing on top or the cherry on top for this offense. I think where you can survive without him being great, but when he's great, like they are really, really good. And, you know, unfortunately having your highest paid player as the X factor in your team you know, it, it kind of sucks, um, but they're getting so much production from these other guys that it's it's working for now. And, 
you know, again, I don't want to get too ahead of myself, but I, I am just interested to see if they can pull this off and, and where they go from here. Because, yeah, I think the Lakers would be a really interesting matchup. And I think they would kill the Mavericks down low. But, you know, everywhere else, it's like the Mavs may have an advantage. So that would be pretty interesting. All right. So I'm on Cleaning the Glass, our favorite website. So um, the Mavericks, Dylan Hughes, can have about 30 million, 35 million in cap space. I mean, Tim Hardaway has a $28 million cap hold. I would guess he's gone, though. Here's an idea for you. I, I know I've been pushing the Kawhi to Miami train. Why wouldn't he go to Dallas? <laughs> it's warm. You have no state income tax. It's it's possible, man. It's possible. <laughs> I'm just saying because you declined Willie Cauley-Stein's team option. They have 21 million cap space before you decline Willie Cauley-Stein's team option. And let's just say Josh Richardson declines his player option, which I don't think you will, but you could trade Josh Richardson for practically nothing. Someone There's going to be a lot of cap space to be had, and someone will want Josh Richardson. So let's just... Let's just decline it for whatever reason. So the Mavs could have like 40, almost 40 million in cap space next summer. Like, I'm I'm not saying, Dylan, I'm not saying, you know, I'm I'm saying there's a chance that, because there's no other big fish to get in next year's offseason, right? Like the next best free agent after, and we're not even sure Kawhi's going to opt out of his player option yet, but the next best guy after Kawhi is going to be, is going to be DeMar DeRozan. And DeMar doesn't fit the bill. Here's an idea. Here's an idea. Let's just say you don't bring Hardaway back, but you bring in like Rudy Gay and someone else like of that caliber. Hmm. And you improve your team that way. Right. Or, and you, or you delay the Hardaway thing. You do that thing where you're like, okay, we're going to sign our not bird guys first. Then we're going to sign our bird guy. Cause I, they have bird rights on Hardaway. Well, how much cap space do they have with his cap hold, though? That's with the cap hold. Actually, let me double check, but I'm pretty sure that's with the cap hold. Yeah, it's with the cap hold. So how much was it with the cap hold? It's about if you if you just take away Hardaway Jr. or if you just take away uh, Willie Cauley Stein's team option, it's about twenty five million. Oh, wow. I mean, I guess Luca being on a rookie deal helps that because they just have Mm -hmm. one big contract. Well, so they have Porzingis and then Hardaway. And wow. Powell's, Powell's making they, 11 next year, and Kleba's right. making eight. Yeah. So they could they could actually keep Hardaway, too. Wow. That is fascinating. Like, I mean, they could go after Lowry, too. Mm-hmm. I mean, and technically Conley's a free agent. I'd be surprised if he left Utah, but who knows? Um, obviously, Bruce Brown, huge fish. Uh, so, um, you know, wow, that man. And Hey, Spencer Dinwiddie's kind of a low key guy too. Mm. Um, and that's really interesting. He wouldn't be too expensive. Like I think his last, is he making like, is he making 13 right now? It's like something mid-level ish. I would imagine he gets around that again, especially coming off the injury. They, they have some like low key options where they could, they could get one or two, like you could get like Dinwiddie and Rudy Gay and then bring Hardaway back. Like that's a really good team. Yeah. That might be the top of the West next year. Yeah. Like I think bold prediction, they're top, they're in top three of the West next year because they're just, they have to get better. There's no way they don't. And especially if they dump Powell, Powell, I haven't seen Dwight Powell at all this year, it feels like. 
Yeah. Like they just, they can get off of him. The only thing I bet they wish they had a redo on giving the Knicks two of their first round picks. I bet that's the only thing they wish they had a redo on. But at this point, like everything else, I'd say they kind of fumbled the bag in a lot of ways, but they're still playing with house money, which is incredible. So, <laughs> I mean, they still won that trade by miles. Like oh, yeah. they got Hardaway Jr. too in that deal. So you get what probably the second and third best player on your team for some picks and Dennis Smith Jr. <laughs> and DeAndre Jordan obviously was, you know, and somehow how many teams has DeAndre Jordan been in the past three years? Like eight feels like. So what? <laughs> Dallas. I think just Dallas, New York, and uh, Brooklyn. Yeah. But, yeah, I mean, it's – you know, it's kind of funny. I don't know how DeAndre Jordan never ended up on the Rockets. I don't know why. Just felt like a good fit. But Seems um, like a Rockets kind of player. He was, he'd be like an upgraded Tyson Chandler that also can't defend. Um, so, <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, man, where Dallas goes from here is so interesting. And the West next year is just going to be interesting because, you know, Clay Thompson's coming back. So that's going to shake things up. Uh, you know, the Lakers are getting older. So it's like, you know, you never know what's going to happen with them. We saw this year what happened with injuries. Clippers could blow it up. I mean, it's it could go a variety of different ways. But I think either way, the Mavericks are going to move up. Poku takes a leap. You never know. You never know. <laughs> the Poku and Cade show. Oh my God! Yes, apparently they're getting some. Europe, they're getting the Euro League MVP next year too. I saw on Twitter. Oh, wow! So and apparently the guy's like a really like good shooter and passer. So <laughs> they might actually be frisky next year. Like no joke. <laughs> was that so, like a was that a second round pick? It was a second round pick of the Spurs, and like they ended up with that pick somehow. I don't remember how. I'd have to look it up. I don't remember the guy's name off the top of my head. But they tricked. He was drafted in like 2015 by, I want to say a Texas team. I want to say the Spurs drafted him. It had to be the Spurs. <laughs> and somehow, no, it was the Sixers. And then the Sixers traded his rights to uh, Oklahoma City in the Horford trade. Oh, okay. So it was like, I don't remember. I'll have to look up the trade, but I don't feel like doing that right this second. Um, <laughs> I think we're good on Clippers Mavericks. I feel like we touched on everything there. And I, I feel like we properly gave the Clippers the ass beating they deserve. Let me let me ask this question though before we conclude. Do you think the Clippers, like just putting on our objectivity hats for a second, what percent chance would you give the Clippers of actually making this a series? Mm, I would say like thirty percent. I mean, if they lose the next game, it's over. That's pretty, you know. So they have to win that game. And if they win that game, it gets interesting. But I still – I just – I don't see – you have to have Marcus Moore start going off. That's the only realistic option, I think, for them moving forward. That's – I just don't – these other guys – like, Abaka is just hurt. It's pretty obvious. Not that Abaka is really a game changer at this point anyway, but he has added pretty much nothing. Um, like, Rondo's old. Beverly is getting toasted on defense. Like, I just don't see where else they can get it from. And, you know, maybe Ty Lue um, has some spirits he's conjuring or something. But I just think it's Marcus Morris or dies, basically, the Clippers' path. Can, can I just say, I did like the adjustment that Ty Lue made in game one in the fourth quarter. Because before that, you know, they were just switching everything. And in the fourth quarter, they trapped Luca, 
just those guys made them pay in game one, which, you know, is yeah. I'd rather live with that than trying, you know, Luca had 30 points after three and he finished with 31. Whereas what happened yesterday was just like, or on Tuesday, I keep saying yesterday, what happened on Tuesday was just like a complete and total fucking by Luca. So I think that I would give the Clippers about 25% chance to, to make this a series. I don't even, I would give them about a 10% chance to win the series. I, I just don't think it's possible. Like they just don't have the dogs like that. And that's what you need in this league. And I, that's why I think Kawhi has to leave otherwise or they have to bring in Lowry. One of those two things has to happen. Otherwise, it's just catastrophic. So um, I'll let you choose. Which series would you like to discuss next? Well, I've got Knicks Hawks in my notebook open, so might as well go there. Might as well. We get the best two out of the way first. So um, the only reason the Clippers one is the best is just because Luke is announcing himself. But game one for the um, Hawks and Knicks, the Hawks won 107 to 105. Then game two. The Knicks on the backs of a 30 to 8 run while uh, Bogdanovich, Trey, and DeAndre Hunter all sat. Um, the New York Knicks won 101 to 92. Dylan Hughes, what is your overreaction for the uh, Hawks and the Knicks? I don't know if I can call it an overreaction because I've been saying it all year, but Julius Randle cannot lead a team to a playoff victory. I mean, if you let's see, I have some stats written down so i mean listen i've been shitting on randall and barrett all year i've given the credit when it's due like i respect what randall's done like winning most improve is great and he has a very cute son by the way they keep painting him on the sideline really into it and it's uh been fun funny to watch but 11 of 39 through two games i mean it's just and and i you know i'll give him credit because the end of the game too you know, he hit Taj with a really nice pass under the basket. And then the next play, he gets a, a shot to basically ice it. So I'll give him credit for that. But, like, the Knicks have been winning behind their bench. Like, it's been it's been Rose. It's been Burks. It's been Gibson and, like, quickly and, you know, Bullock. <laughs> Bullock has, like, probably been their most consistent starter. It's like – and it's not surprising because those guys, aside from quickly, are all veterans. And those are guys that have been around for a long time and obviously a lot of Tibbs connections in there. But, you know, it's just – I guess we should have probably seen this coming, that it would they would work out like this. But, you know, it's – I mean, Derrick Rose has really been the guy. He's been their best player. And, I mean, Burks was really good in that first game. But it's, it, it's just – I just want to see more from Randall moving forward. I just don't know if he can do it. I mean, I've been saying it all year. It's just – I just don't think he's capable of – he's he's good enough to get you to the playoffs, but when the defense starts focusing in on him, I just don't know if he has – if he's got it like that. So, that's just how I've seen it through two games. I think DeAndre Hunter deserves a lot of credit for that. I think DeAndre Hunter has been playing exquisite defense on uh, – on Julius Randall. He actually might be part of my Atlanta overreaction, but I think that it wasn't a coincidence that Nate, for whatever reason, Nate McMillan and God bless him that yesterday was not his finest hour. Like he held Trey Bogdanovich and Deandre out for like 10, like he held Hunter out for like 10 minutes and held Bogdanovich and Trey out for like eight consecutive minutes. And that can, those were the, um, <laughs> the Knicks 30 to eight run. Like, 
as soon as he took DeAndre Hunter out of the game, you noticed Julius like, okay, hey, I have more room to breathe and attack the basket, right? Like you saw that happen, like that switch go off in Julius's mind instantly. And I that wasn't a coincidence to me. It really wasn't where it's like, okay, hey, I have, you know, now I have Bogdanovich on me. Now I have Gallinari on me, right? Like they need to do the thing where Hunter's minutes mirror Randall's minutes. And I know that Hunter is just coming back from an injury, but it really like you can't survive. <laughs> you don't have a whole lot of edges in this series defensively. That's literally probably your only one, him and Capella. Like you need your best defensive player out on the court on their best offensive player. And I, I just think that that wasn't the best coaching for Nate McMillan there. And then <sighs> RJ has been fine. I would say, let me actually like, he's not been great, but I don't think he's sucked entirely. Like his defense, like RJ's defense to me has improved so much. Like playing under Tibbs has gotten his and frankly, Randall's defense so much better, but I mean, when Derrick Rose is your savior, you have a problem, whether or not you want to admit it. Like 32-year-old Derrick Rose and 35-year-old Taj Gibson. When those are your saviors, you have a problem. Yeah, again, it's I think it's kind of expected. Everyone got a little bit too hyped behind Randall. And again, you know, it was a fun year for Knicks fans, like actually having a playoff team. And Randall was a huge part in that, but there's just something about playoff defense. Like, you know who you're going after. You know you know that your best guy is going to be defended heavily, and especially a guy that this is the first time he's been in this situation, so he's not really going to know how to handle it. Um, and, you know, on the flip side, shout out to Trey, who has done a really good job despite some more attention. And, you know, the Knicks don't really have the same defenders Atlanta has, but, you know, they're not throwing DeAndre Hunter on. <laughs> type of guy on him I mean we know for Peyton's not going to do it so you know that's listen Derrick Rose is going to lose them the next playoff round or he's not going to be good enough to win it if they win this but like he's been really good and I think he's been really good for a few years it's just he keeps coming off the bench for like Detroit so no one cares but, like, his game is just – on offense especially has just really rounded out to be really, really good. He's really fun to watch. Um, so, I mean, I think – I still think he's one of the best stories in the league over the past handful of years because, you know, getting an MVP basically right at the beginning of your career and then having all those injuries, it was like for probably five or six years we just kind of thought he was done. And then, you know, he goes to Minnesota, starts playing well, goes to Detroit – plays well now he's back in New York and you know he's leading leading the Knicks to playoff wins and again like probably a low ceiling on that but at least for now I mean it wouldn't be surprised me if that plus a little bit of extra stuff is good enough for them to win this series yeah he's been the bounce back he's had has been incredible um the last time he was in New York you could have written him off as being done right it's a testament to his work ethic that he was able to come back and be able to, you know, bounce back and play in the play at this high of a level in the playoffs. And good for Derrick Rose. Um, he, no one on Atlanta can guard him, though. <laughs> no one. Like, Atlanta's probably the – outside of Washington, I would say they're the worst defensive team in the playoffs. <laughs> and I don't probably think that's close. I know Boston's been really bad, but they're playing Brooklyn, so their defense is just going to look atrocious in comparison. But – 
Bogdanovich just doesn't stand a chance. I like Bogdanovich. He's a solid defender, right? Like if he's your fourth best defender, you're in a good place. But the problem with Atlanta is he's their third best defender and your worst defender is Trey Young. So you can't hide you Bogdanovich, preferably you'd hide off somewhere, right? On like a Reggie Bullock. And if he, if he's the guy you're hiding, you're in a great place, but he's not. And Derek Rose is exposing him every time down the floor. And it's like, okay, well, duh, right? Like D Rose just has the little bit of the quickness advantage on defense here. So, and let alone, I mean, like they're treading out Lou will honestly, I wouldn't be mad if they brought Herter in the starting lineup and brought Bogdanovich off the bench, I think they might need that little bit of balance because we saw the Atlanta staggering issue in game two and Herter might give you a little more on defense than Bogdanovich. I can't say for sure. He might, you know, he's long, he's quick. So I, and John Collins, man, (laughs) this has not been a banner. Uh, Game one was a good John Collins game, but game two was not a good John Collins game in any respect. I, I, that was, that was pretty bad, but um, I don't think there's that much more actually to say on the Knicks. Like they're okay. I will say good. Obi Toppin minutes yesterday. Yes. I was surprised. I was happy because, you know, I think he could be a, a nice backup big in the league at worst. Like I think he's, he's athletic. He can shoot corner threes and like, he's just, he's a, he's a pretty good off ball player. And like the way this team is built and especially coming off the bench where you're basically playing three guards at the same time, like he's going to get a lot of open shots and a lot of, you know, look good looks at the rim um, if he cuts. So yeah, I was happy with him yesterday too. Yeah. I thought those were really good minutes. He has the opportunity on offense, at least to be like a kind of Brandon Clark type of player. Yep. And I think that that could be really valuable. I think Tibbs could really use that. Um, we'll talk about Brandon Clark more later. Cause that's a little confusing, but um, the Hawks, my, uh, my overreaction for the Hawks. Actually, did I say my overreaction for the Knicks? It's just, okay. My overreaction for the Knicks was just that Tibbs loves Taj and D Rose too much, <laughs> which is shocking news to nobody. I watched him play both those. I watched him play Taj 12 minutes every fourth quarter for years. Um, if I am not surprised at all how much Tibbs loves Taj. And I'm pretty sure every place that Taj has been the or that Tibbs has been the head coach, Taj has played for him at some point. So hey man, you got your guys, right? Like Haslam at this point has to be Spoh's guy. Um <laughs> Nick Collison was Scotty Brooks guy. You know, you, you just need your guys sometimes, you know, that you just have on standby, but my Hawks thing, and maybe this is blowing a little out of proportion. I think DeAndre Hunter has like massive star potential. Like he's got like a b- incredible baseline of three and D to work with. Right. And there's something there. It's not there yet, but there's some, like he could have like kind of a Jalen Brown kind of ascension where he improves his ball handling. And I don't think he'll be as good as Jalen Brown was this year, but I mean, Dylan, I mean, if he's as good as Jalen Brown was last year, I, I'm i pretty safe saying that's a star kind of player. Yeah, I think he's close, too. And we saw, like, this season's been a little bit of a tease because he's been hurt so much. But he's shown at times where he had games where he was, like, their go-to guy. I mean, he was – and, like, it wasn't even threes. Like, he's he's been getting in the paint and getting good looks and, like, creating his own shot. And, you know, right now he's kind of got the luxury of being the three-point shooter. 
I mean, yesterday he, you know, three of his 10 shots were threes or eight of his 10 shots were threes. So with Bogdanovich and Trey out there, like he's not going to get a ton of opportunities to handle it. But yeah, I mean, he's, he's taken on the third best defender pretty much at all times. So he's got some opportunities to explode. And I kind of hope we can see it in the playoffs a little bit um, because I, that's one thing I have to say about Atlanta is I just think they need to balance themselves out a little bit. Like you said, like, Bogdanovich and Trey, it's just too too reliant on them, as we saw yesterday when they both came out. And I thought Herter was good yesterday, but Herter is better playing off someone else. So I think – I mean, I would be kind of surprised if McMillan actually benched Bogey, but maybe just figuring out a way where you can have Herter play with one of those guys at all times um, would help. And, yeah, like give, give Hunter some opportunities off the bench too, like – Take, maybe take a page out of the Sixers book with Tobias Harris and give DeAndre Hunter like some run with the bench unit and see what happens because that's been great for Tobias this year. And, I mean, you know, Tobias, like Jalen Brown is a good comp, but I think Tobias Harris may be a little bit more realistic, at least offensively, uh, for Hunter. So something like that where, you know, he doesn't have to dribble the hell out of the ball, but like give him – put him in a good spot, let him work a little bit, get a shot up. You know, I think that's the type of player he could be. Um, so it's going to be interesting to see the rest of this series, how it plays out. Cause yeah, he's still working back from injury, but he's, he's shown some good flashes. Yeah. I think that, so I, the, in the top 100 list, he's pretty low, but I want to rank him higher because we just, the flashes we've seen this year have been so intoxicating. And if he keeps, if he has better games than he's had the first two games right now, he's only at 11 and a half points a game, but he, again, Bogdanovich has taken, Trey's taken 43 shots, which probably should be higher. Bogdanovich has taken 36. Like I, there's gotta be a little more room for variety in there somewhere. Gallo uh, (laughs) is looking like playoff Gallo. (laughs) Um, I, I here's here's something for you. I know this isn't going to be popular. Like it wouldn't happen because of NBA politics. But why not play Solomon Hill over Gallo? Like I think that he would be better for this series, just in terms of like a guy you could bring off the bench and try to throw at Randall. Yeah, I mean defensively, it's there for sure. And the way Gallo's played so far, you're probably not losing a, a ton on offense either. <laughs> And, and Solomon Hill is like a low-key, like off-ball, tertiary-type handler too, So, which I think would probably suit that bench unit better than Gallo right now because, like, washed-up Lou Will is just not good enough for their leading their bench unit. I think that's their biggest issue right now. Both On both sides of the floor is their bench guards are just not really good. And I think that's why the, the Knicks bench guards have done so well is they're not really having to face too much of a, you know, struggle uh, from the other side. So, you know, throwing Solomon Hill out there would be, uh, would be interesting, but I think Nate may only go to that if he gets desperate. Yeah. And I I just wish like, you got to try something different, right? Like, I don't know. I think Lou and Bogey could play together. I don't, I just Gallo's in the playoffs. We've seen playoff Gallo before. He hasn't, he's not very good in the playoffs. He's a lot better in the regular season, but I mean, hell Tony Snell's only played 12 and a half minutes a game. I feel like that should go up. Like he hit 50% of his open threes, you know, maybe that'll help alleviate some of the spacing concerns. I, I don't know. 
Like, I think that Hill and Snell were both really good for them this year. Like, really good. I don't understand why they haven't played more, personally, but I know Nate can get weird with the playoff rotations. I mean, okay. Just based on your experience with him as a Pacers fan, does this track with what he's done in Indiana this series so far? Um, I guess so. Like, the, you know, figuring out balance on the floor has been an issue for sure. But I don't know. Like, this roster is a little bit different because it's not super deep. And I think that maybe his issue is he's just trying to milk as much as he can out of bogey and Trey, but he's just doing it when they're on the floor together, which, you know, gives them a good advantage when they're out there, but when they're not out there, it kills them. So, you know, it's Nate's an old school guy. And like, I think that does show up in his coaching a lot. Yeah. I, I, I just wasn't a fan of him. Again, a 30 to eight run is really bad. And that that's all on Nate. Like that can't be on anybody else. Like, you were up 12 and then you end that breakdown 10. <laughs> like, and it's remarkable that if my math is correct, yes, it was 88 to 78 at the end of the run, which is just ridiculous. You shouldn't be down 22 after, you know, an eight minute span. That's just really bad in the playoffs. They, they were up 15 at one point in that game. They should have won that game comfortably. Like, I, I just don't understand. I Trey, let's talk about Trey before we move on to the next series. Trey's been absolutely phenomenal in the series. Like, he has stepped up to the plate, been ex- like he's shooting 50% from the field, 50% from three. It feels like every pull up he shoots is going in. Uh, can we just talk about Dylan? I feel like his judgment on when to pull up has gotten a lot better over his time in the NBA, like from distance. Yeah. Last year he was doing a lot of chucking. And I think that was kind of because he had no other option, but I really think bringing bogey in has been great for him. I mean, like Caleb has been dissing that. And I just like, they needed another guy. Cause I, the problem with, with the Lloyd Pierce offense is it was all on Trey and Trey is not James Harden. It's not going to work the same way. And, you know, again, I keep talking about it, but like the Steph Curry model where you have him play off ball a little bit, um, it, it just gives him different looks and it, it's going to make him a lot more efficient. And yeah, like he's not going to shove that logo three point shot into the ground all the time. Like you'll get it once a game, maybe, and it's gonna it's gonna come at the right time. But he's not he's not milking it to the point where it's just like killing the offense. Um, so yeah, I and that's why like moving forward in the future, I think this this team's ceiling is pretty high because on offense, Bogey and Trey are just such a great match. They're both really good shooters. They're both good at handling it. Good passers, like good pick and roll guys. They they can both do it all and they play off each other so well. And that's why if you can get a guy like DeAndre Hunter, you know, being able to score a little bit more um, and, you know, we'll see if Cam Reddish can become, I still, he's still pretty raw at this point, but man, like the, the, the tinges of the future are starting to shine through. Yeah. And they, they need Collins to show up, right? Like he has to show up. He only had 12 points in game one. And I don't remember how many he had on, how many he had yesterday, but it wasn't a lot. He he, he, had, the, he had zero he and had some, he, he had five fouls. So obviously that was a part of it, but it was, it, it was, he just needs to be more aggressive. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like he's not a good defensive player. He's yeah. not. 
And if you're not going to play defense and you're not going to be aggressive on offense, then what are you doing out there? Like, it's a legitimate question. Like, I guess if he's being, if you're saying he's being a stretch four, that's fine. But I'd rather have Solomon Hill out there, a stretch four that can actually play defense. Like, again, Solomon Hill's been good this year. Or you slide DeAndre to the four and you put Tony Snell in the, the three. And Tony Snell's been an elite floor stretcher this year. Like, Trey's, I think what you said about Bogdanovich is really key. Like, Bogdanovich is more of a release valve, right? And we see, like, all the great like all the great point guards that are getting trapped need that. It's what Dame doesn't have, right? Like I, you could argue maybe Nurkic is the release valve or CJ, but like Bogdanovich is someone you can, you know, you can take the trap, get it to him. And you trust he's going to make the right play in the four on three. And that's what the Hawks need. And if he's been doing that really well, I think that again, I just want to see them staggered the rest of the series. Nate said after game two that he didn't see any, I saw a report from a Chris Kirshner of the athletic or a tweet rather from his press conference that Nate said there wasn't anything wrong with his rotations in game two, which <laughs> come on now, Nate, come on now. But listen, it, okay. I think we've discussed everything we need to discuss on Hawks Knicks. Is that, do you think this is going six or seven, or do you think that there's a team that has a clear advantage? going forward in the next couple of games? I would say it's it's going to be a long series because I think you kind of have similar issues on both sides where the scoring, it just ends up coming back to like the same two or three guys. And unless Randall can break out of this, I don't see, I don't see the Knicks getting an advantage. And it, on the Hawks side, again, like you're just not getting a ton out of the other guys. Like, you know, DeAndre has been their third best player, but he hasn't been like insanely good. I don't think he's he's really proven to be that advantage yet. So I would say it's going to be six or seven. We, we saw in game one, game one and game two, right? Bogey hit shots in game one. They win. Bogey misses shots in game two. They lose. <laughs> so I would trust Bogdanovich to make shots more often than not. Did you realize he shot 43.8% on three this year on like seven and a half attempts a game? I did not. That's a lot better and a lot more than he did in Sacramento. A lot. <laughs> and I, I just trust him to make the shots. He's a good enough shooter. He has, you know, big game experience from the FIBA experience. So I, I think that I trust Bogdanovich and Trey more than I trust Randall. And I, okay. I trust Trey more than I trust any of them. And I trust Bogdanovich more than I trust Randall and uh, Barrett. So Give me, I'll go Hawks and seven. I don't, you don't have to make a prediction, but I, I, I'm feeling Hawks and seven. I just think they, they out talent the Knicks. Um, I'm assuming, do you want to get Wizards Sixers out of the way? Or do you want to? Um, <laughs> yeah, let's just get it out of the way. We'll save the best for last. Um, this is going to be a blowout. Game one was 125 to 118. And then they played last night and the Sixers won 120 to 95. Um, Dylan, there's not much to overreact to in this series, but go ahead and hit me with your overreaction. Well, I mean, I don't know if I have an overreaction because like both games were so different. That first game was pretty close. And the second game, like I could make a Simmons overreaction because he was 0 of 6 from the free throw line in game one, which is going to come back to kill them at some point. It's not going to matter now, but that's something to watch. But the second game, he was great, and he was just getting whatever he wanted. And 
they got up pretty big. I mean, they didn't really start pulling away till like the middle of the second half, but you know, I just the problem for the the Wizards is that Westbrook has basically been non-existent. And like it's kind of sad that this is kind of becoming his playoff narrative at this point. Is that in you know, last year was different. Like he he had an injury and like he had COVID. Uh, I'll give him an excuse on that. Um, but he's shooting 31% from the field and has 11 total rebounds. You know, this is a guy that averaged 11 rebounds a game. He has 11 through two. Um, so it's just his finishing at the rim is just so bad now. And when you have Embiid and Simmons, it just becomes so much harder. And even Danny Green, like the Sixers defense is just too good. It's it's basically the Beal show. You know, it, it's been Beal and like Bertans had a good game in game one. But Rui's their third best player, and he has he's been fine, but not great. Um, you know, one little thing I've noticed is Daniel Gafford has actually done a pretty good job on Embiid. I mean, obviously Embiid's still having his way, but of all the guys I've seen guard Embiid over the past few years, Gafford might be the best one-on-one. Like he's really strong, really strong. Like he's one of the few guys that can really hold Embiid up. And again, like Embiid's bigger and he's going to get shots over him and make them, but he makes them work. And I just, I really love that trade for Washington getting Gafford. I think he could potentially be their center of the future um, or him and Thomas Bryant. If you combine him and Thomas Bryant together, it'd be like oh a top five center in the league. It'd be a top five center of all time. Like for, they're both really good lob threats already, but Gafford's defense with Bryant shooting would be nuts to watch. That would be like Dirk on offense with obviously Thomas Bryant's not Dirk, but just like, if you're going to build the archetype of a player, it's like, it's it's basically what people think Jaron Jackson could be. (laughs) Yeah, pretty much. So, you know, we'll have to work on that, getting, getting a lab together and trying to combine them. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's just been, I just feel so bad for Beal, man. And God, like the guy just can't get out of, he just can't like, does he actually want to stay in Washington or is he just like trying to play nice because man, he needs to get out of there. Well, Fred Katz, the athletic guy keeps saying that the athletic wizards guy keeps saying he wants to stay in Washington. However, we heard the spiel, you know, Oh, LeBron's going to be a Cavalier for the rest of his career. Oh, Kevin Durant, loyal Oklahoma city thunder player. Oh, Kawhi Leonard, you know, it's going to be a Spurs guy forever. So I don't buy it, right? The cynical portion of my NBA fan brain is like, okay, these guys are lying to us because they have to, right? But I I want Beal freed so bad. And I want Beal on the 76ers because I want Beal for Simmons. It's what I want. And mm. I love Ben Simmons, but he's not going to – that's my overreaction. Just like watching game one, and I know he had a good game too, but – he just doesn't have what it takes to be a point guard, right? And he, you're not going to play him at forward next to Joel Embiid. It's nonsense. So I wish, right, in an ideal world, you trade him to the Trailblazers for C.J. McCollum, right? But I don't think the Sixers say yes to that unless the Blazers throw, like, three picks their way. But And then you play Simmons as the four. You run pick and rolls with Simmons as the role guy, and you use him as like kind of like a hybrid Draymond kind of guy. But Ben can't get to the rim by himself. 
Like, I don't think that's really controversial to say. Like, he has, he basically, every time he does go get to the rim, he stops, he posts up, and then he goes up with the shot, <laughs> right? He doesn't, you know, cross guys over. He doesn't have that wiggle that you need as a guard to get in the paint, and that's fine. Just play as a big guy. You're basically already playing as a big guy on offense when you're standing in the dunker spot the whole time. I want to see him on a team where they actually can use his talents because he's getting stuck in a box in Philadelphia. I don't like that. Like, I think that he could be so much more, but because he plays with Joel Embiid, <laughs> it's hard. So, I mean, what do you think? Like, am, am I off base here? No. I mean, the Simmons and Embiid questions have obviously been talked about a lot, but you know what, what makes life tough for Elton Brand and company is that they're getting to the Eastern Conference Finals pretty much no matter what. So on paper, it looks like they're really making progress. But you, there's listen, there's two teams to beat in the East, and I don't think they're going to beat either of them. And it, that's not going to change. Like, looking forward, it's probably going to get tougher. Like, Boston obviously had a tough year with Brown getting hurt. Uh, Toronto could – well, I'm not going to throw them in there yet. But, you know, you never know with Toronto what they're going to do. I mean, the Heat, there's a chance they could, you know, shoot up the rankings. Like, this this is their year. I mean, Tobias Harris is playing the best ball of his career. Seth Curry has been awesome. You know, Danny Green has actually been fine. Like, there's – everything is is working out for this team. This is the best it's probably going to get. And – if they don't win, I just don't see how you keep Simmons because obviously Embiid's not the issue. It's just – and the reason Simmons – like Simmons had a good game yesterday, but he was getting such easy points. Like he was just posting up like how Neto, you know, whenever he got a chance. <laughs> like it's so – you're not going to get that every game. You're not going to get that against better teams. So it's – it's pretty clear that it's time. And I just wonder, like, I would love to go into the office of, um, I forget the Rockets GM's name, but. Raphael, uh, Raphael Stone. Stone. Yeah. So I would love to go in his office and see, like, was Simmons really on the table for Harden? Because the trade they got was so bad. <laughs> I mean, Victor, Ol- I know they got a bunch of picks, but like Victor Oladipo was horrible for them. Like, they basically trade Harden for a bunch of picks and Kelly Olenek. You know, like, that is not the superstar star hall you want. And, like, if they could have got Simmons, I mean, who cares what else they have? Like, would he fit with John Wall? Probably not. But John Wall is not really in the future of the Rockets. Um, so, I don't know. Like, I would just love to see if they re- – if I mean, it could have been Philly that turned it down. Who knows? Which would have been even dumber because – Harden and Embiid, I think, would be unstoppable. <laughs> I mean, I think they would be a shoe-in for the finals because, obviously, Brooklyn would be not as good as they are. They would have Karis LeVert still, but, you know, I mean, it's – it's and, and where they go with Simmons is interesting because, like, what, what a team willingly takes Simmons. I feel like you have to be – starting from the basement where you can build around him completely. Like you can't really just fit him into a team unless you do move him to like power forward and just see what happens. But God, man, this summer is going to be fascinating. And the question is, what do you want to buy into like a kind of Draymond role? Right. 
it's not fun. <laughs> you know, as much as, you know, I, I like to, as much as I would play that way on a basketball court, I could understand why if you're 6'10 and you can dribble well, why you wouldn't want to play that role, right? It's hard, but man, like I really wish he could end up in Portland somehow because I feel like Dame could coerce him into be like, he, he, you're right. He either needs to start somewhere where he's not, where he's like the guy or he needs to go somewhere where there's a very clear and defined guy, someone that Ben would respect, right? Like, I don't know, like Dame, I think would be one of those guys, not like Luca, right? Like, cause Luca's in his age range, but like, you need to like a vet to just be like, okay, you are playing this way because we need you to play this way to win. And someone who could coerce in that way, because Ben really has like, you know, he's accomplished shit in the league, but he hasn't gotten better. Like, if you just look at this, if you were just looking at it at a stats perspective, he hasn't gotten better over his three years in the NBA or not three. He's been in the league for five years at this point, but he only played four. Um, but he hasn't like the stats are the same from day one to now. In fact, he regressed this year. So I don't know. I, I want Simmons to be in a situation that can make him thrive, but they're just, it's hard. It's so hard with a player like him. It's so hard to make a guy like him thrive. <laughs> Yeah, like I feel like Dane would be such a great fit because you could do a lot of dribble handoff and like rim running type stuff. Like I think you could keep him really involved, um, but just have him off ball more. And I mean, I'm just like imagining like I don't think he's that far off of being Draymond as is. Like he's averaging what 14 points a game. I mean, that's not you know Draymond's averaging like six or something, but. You know, just be a little bit more involved, Draymond. Like, I don't I don't think that's a problem because Draymond handles the ball a lot. It's not like Simmons would just be, like, sitting in the dunker spot all game. I mean, Draymond takes the ball up, like, half the game. So you could have Simmons as, like, you know, a pseudo point guard. And he wouldn't, he wouldn't take it up as much because Dame likes to be on ball too. But, I mean, having Dame come off a Simmons screen, he would have – free airwaves for life, you know, like he would be getting such easy looks and having like the screening between Simmons and Nurkic would be insane. Like they would just get so many open looks. Um, so yeah, that would be the ideal spot. Um, but you know, McCollum and change, it's just like, I don't know. I mean, McCollum is, is, I think McCollum would be a great fit for the Sixers. Um, but is he good enough? Like the Sixers are win now, so like Beal makes a lot more sense. That's um, so that's the issue. Maybe you engineer it where it's like a three-team trade where Simmons ends up in Portland, Beal ends up in Philly, and then CJ and like CJ, Zach Collins, Simons, and like four picks, two from the Blazers and two from the Sixers end up in Washington, something like that. But that's it's just tough to see Simmons fitting under Embiid. And real quick. Um, I've been getting a lot of shit from our friend Caleb Lynn um, about Tobias Harris and needing to eat it on Tobias Harris not being a playoff player. Can I can I just ask you a question, Dylan Hughes? Is Tobias Harris doing it doing well against the Wizards the same as doing well in the playoffs? Is it the same thing? Uh, not really. I mean, the Wizards' defense is awful, but I mean, he's had a really good year. Like, I feel like Doc has kind of engineered the perfect offense for him but yeah I mean we'll have to see it next time around and again you know next series isn't going to be much proof either it's like oh congrats on uh on beating you know Reggie Bullock off the dribble but 
you know, it's, it's, it's tough. Like I, I really like Tobias and we haven't seen too much of him in the playoffs. Like the year with Jimmy, it's just, it's kind of tough to judge. Like there was just so many cooks in the kitchen. There was like way too much going on. And even last year, like with Horford, like their, their past few rosters have just not, they're not, not been bad, but just a little bit mismatched. And I feel like this roster has suited him the best as, you know, with in his time with the Sixers. So we'll see. I'm not going to act like he's just, you know, completely changed everything about his game. And he's awesome. Like, he's super awesome. I think he's really good. But, you know, I, it's just everything with the Sixers is like, wait till the Eastern Conference Finals. Exactly. Like, Caleb Lynn, I'm addressing you directly. Okay. This is not an indictment on Tobias Harris but it's an indictment on the Washington Wizards. This is not a real team, okay? This is by far the worst team in the playoffs. They regularly trot out three-guard lineups where Bradley Beal is the tallest player among the three. Rui is, you know, the poor sap that's stuck trying to guard, you know, one of the huge Sixers guys, right? And he's just not there yet. Like, he's in his second year. This isn't, like, a real challenge for him. Hell, the next round might not be very much of a challenge either because Reggie Bullock... DeAndre Hunter might be a challenge, but DeAndre Hunter might also be guarding Ben Simmons. So you don't know. We just don't know. We can't say, I will wait till next round, and then if next round he's being guarded by some schlub, I will wait till the conference finals to defer judgment. Um, Free Bradley Beal, Sixers and four. Safe to say we can move on? Yes, please. Okay, thank God. So our last series is, um, is the Jazz versus the... It's going to be the Jazz versus the uh, the Grizzlies. And the Grizzlies won game one. I actually don't have it pulled up. Let me go ahead and pull that up real quick. The Grizzlies won game one, 112 to 109. And then the Jazz came back last night and won 141 to 129 behind, in spite of John Morant's 47 points, the franchise record in the regular season or playoffs. Real quick, I heard this on uh, No Dunks today. Who was the franchise leader in points in a game before? Before John Morant. Ooh, Rudy Gay? No. Same same position area, though. So you're in the right area. Oh, man, that's reaching back. Uh, I, I can't remember anyone on those teams except for, like, Randolph, Gasol, and, and Conley. It, okay. Sounds like you're not going to get it. It's Mike Miller. Oh, wow. Okay. Ah, you would not think he would be the leader in uh, – in franchise points for a team, but Hey, you know, good for him. Good for him. So, um, yeah, this series, I figured I'd throw that out there. What's your, what's your overreaction of this series? Um, my overreaction is that go bear is just owning Valanciunas. I don't know why Taylor Jenkins is, and I don't, I've already forgotten game one, a lot of, but Game two was last night, so it's still fresh in my mind. But they they have been feeding Valanciunas down low, and he is just getting smothered by Gobert over and over. And it's funny because if you look at the stats, I was, like, shocked. Like, Valanciunas is, like – I think he's shooting, like, 55% from the floor or something like that. Like, he his stats look great, but he's been doing all that on Derek Favors. <laughs> like, he just kills Derek Favors when he's in there because he's got, like, a head over him. He's, you know – Derek Favors is a big man, but Valanciunas is a lot bigger. So he's been killing Favors. But Gobert, he does not stand a chance. And 
I'll just say shout out to uh, JD Hall because you know last Friday he was he was ready for Valentinus to kick some ass, and against Gobert it's not it's not working out to this point. But yeah, it's it's been odd because it's like early in the game too they were like kind of trying to set the tone, trying to get Valentinus involved, and he just could not score on Gobert at all, and. I mean, that first half, I can't believe the Grizzlies stayed even somewhat close. It was basically all all jaw because Dylan Brooks was out a bunch with fouls and Jaron Jackson didn't really do much. Like, it was literally jaw doing everything. And, I mean, jaw obviously scoring 47 kept them in that game. But, gosh, like the – I mean, the second half, like, Brooks was good. You know, Kyle Anderson was good. And Jaron got to the line a bunch. But – Gosh, like Jaw had to tread water for a while for them to stay in that game. And Jaw got to the line 20 times. Yeah. I was very, he was fearless, man. Like he went at Gobert a couple of times. And there was one time where Gobert just absolutely shut him down, which, you know, you got to applaud Jaw though for not being fearless at all, right? Like he's just going in there. He's trying to dunk on Gobert and it, it, it failed miserably. But <laughs> I mean, Jaw, man, he's becoming a superstar right before our eyes. Like, in this like four game stretch that they've had, like in the two play in games and the and the two playoff games, he's been by uh, in the in the San Antonio game, Dejounte Murray shut him down. I will grant that, but in the Golden State game, he was the best player. And then in the last two, okay, in the first playoff game, he was the best player. Last night, Rudy Gobert was the best player. Here's here's a question for you: Was last night the best playoff game Rudy Gobert's ever played? <laughs> It might have been like he, man, he was really good. Like he was on both sides of the floor, like catching lobs, you know, doing what he does on offense. But defensively, I mean, Jaw, like Jaw got to the rim a bunch, but he had to stop and shoot a bunch of floaters because he was not going to Tesco there. Yeah. And I actually have the cleaning the glass. I've totally forgot during the regular season that cleaning the glass has a uh, game logs, like box scores and stuff. Like, <laughs> The frequency, the short mid-range, you'll be shocked, Dylan, that the Memphis, a team that shot nothing but floaters all year long, shot 36% of their shots from the short mid-range. You'll be shocked. I mean, I'm stunned, man. I'm just, I'm stunned. Would you like to guess how many of Utah shots came from three? Uh, 99%. <laughs> Close, 43. <laughs> but I mean, for Utah... Like, that's the difference to me in this series, right? And I, my overreaction from Memphis is that Jaws is a superstar. Let me double-check my overreaction from Memphis. I think the Jazz are going to make the conference finals. Like, I I don't know if it's true, because I, I really am liking the Mavs. Again, this is a, after two games overreaction, so I reserve the right to change my mind. <laughs> but, man, the way they played last night, they're good enough to play that way four times out of seven against anybody. Right. Like Conley last night, Mitchell was like, you know, the, the story coming out of that game since he didn't play game one, but man, Conley last night was really fucking good. Like Conley might've been their best player. Not might've been, he was probably their second best player for sure. I would say. Yeah. I mean, it was pretty impressive because uh, Conley and Mitchell combined for 15 assists, but uh, uh, Conley happened to get all 15 of them. <laughs> <laughs> Which, which was funny because I actually thought Mitchell made some good passes. It's just they swing the ball so much 
it's it's kind of hard for assists to stick a lot because you think you make a great pass to like George Niang in the corner, and then he just flips it to Royce O'Neal, flips it to Bogey. You know, like the ball moves so much, and a lot of times it ends up back in Mitchell's hand. And I think last night that was the big difference you could tell from game one because game one, like everyone shot kind of poorly, like they didn't really hit from three much. But last night, having Mitchell as that finisher in there, it changed everything. Like, I just think he opens up their offense so much because whether he's attacking uh, the rim or just getting an open three, like that's the thing about their offense is because they swing it so much, they're always going to have an open three. And they constantly have good three-point shooters out there. Like, you give up, you know, you give up the center, where whether it's Gobert or Favors, and then literally everyone else on the floor is a good shooter. So even if your bench is on the floor. So, like, that's the thing that's scary about them is when they're healthy, you have Clarkson and Ingles coming off the bench and Yang. Like, they're just so deep. And they always have good ball handling on the floor. And, yeah, Conley has been great through two games. I mean, like, the first game, again, didn't shoot great like everyone else. But last night, just the passing and and the shooting, too. I mean, it was a really balanced effort. Like, Mitchell, 25, Conley, 20, Gobert, 21, Bogey, 18, 14 from O'Neal, 14 from Ingles, 16 from Clarkson. Like, that's what this team is, you know. Like, you have your superstars. Like, you know, obviously – Gobert, whether he's a superstar is a debate, but for his position, obviously one of the best in the league. Mitchell, one of the best creators in the league. And then around them, you just have a bunch of really, really good role players. And, yeah, I agree with you. Like, I think you just need four games of being awesome. And they've been one of the best shooting teams in history this year. And I just don't see that going away no matter who they face. Yeah, and it's going to be interesting against Dallas, right? We're, we're, we're presuming Dallas gets to the second round, even though, again, it's been two games. But I think we've seen enough in that series. But Utah's shooting is just so deadly. And this was my fear against them, really. I should have had this fear against Golden State, but I knew that this was going to happen if they played Memphis. But I got to give Memphis a lot of credit here. I didn't think they put up this much of a fight, right? Yeah. And I, I, should, I should have maybe seen it coming because, you know, I'm on the Memphis – I'm on the Memphis bandwagon heavily, but I, I'm really, even though I'm on the, it that heavily, I'm still kind of shocked that they're playing this well. Well, I think Dylan Brooks has really been the difference maker on both ends. I mean, and see, like the thing is that worries me is I think I'm pretty sure he shot above 50% for both the first two games. Like we know a stinker's coming. We know a stinker's coming. He's going to shoot 10 for 26 one of these days. Um, and I think that's what's been giving them a chance. But, yeah, like his defense has been so good this year, especially lately, and it just – that's what puts them at such a disadvantage, though, is even though you have two awesome defenders in Anderson and Brooks, you got three other guys to defend. <laughs> and it's just – again, there's always an open shooter for the Jazz, and that's what that's what's tough. But, yeah, Jaw, again, back to him. Cause he's, he's the, he's the star here. Like he needs, he needs everyone around him has been fine, but like not good enough. But jaw is just, I think he is becoming a superstar. Like he gets to the paint so easily. And like you said earlier, he's fearless. Like he just relentlessly attacks the rim and that's who he's been through these first two seasons. But gosh, like he just, he's so quick. He'll get around his guy 
and just stop on a dime and throw it up. And I mean, he's just that little floater from like a few feet off the rim is, is becoming like his go-to. It's just, it's just basically unstoppable because he's so quick. He gets the ball up so quick. It doesn't matter who's there. Like it's going to have a really good chance of going in and man, this is kind of like what Mitchell was doing last playoffs is what we're seeing from Morant right now. Yeah. Except there's no Gary Harris to come in and, you know, slow down the efforts. <laughs> like exactly. This is what I think is crazy about Ja. Like he did, he did this all regular season, except he didn't shoot. <laughs> right. Like I think when we did our point guard rankings, we had to factor in the fact that he didn't shoot, but if he's shooting, you know, even like driving and shooting this much. And I don't, what is he shooting for three from the series? Let me, I have the stats page pulled up. He's at 25%, but he's shooting them. He's shooting them. So I, I really appreciate the fact that he is shooting them and the fact that, you know, he just is getting whatever he wants against the jazz and the jazz are in slouches. These, this isn't like the, you know, this isn't the wizards. Like, this is a really good defensive team. They have Gobert, and it hasn't mattered because he he's the reason – he and Dylan Brooks are the reason they scored 43 points in the third quarter yesterday. Them alone. And you're right. We are due for a Dylan Brooks stinker. I think we have to talk about the elephant in the Grizzlies room, though. We have to talk about Jaron Jackson Jr. It, it brings me a lot of pain. You can hear – Dylan, I know you can hear the pain in my voice right now. But he's been really bad. <laughs> he's been really bad. I think – I know that he only played like nine games. This is why I wouldn't say they should have rushed him back. They should have brought him back with like 25 games left. Cause we saw there's a big difference between this Jaron Jackson and last year's Jaron Jackson, where he was, you know, dominating the play in turn. Like he was dominating the bubble. Right. Or before like where he was, you know, Jaron was like a 17 point a game scorer last year on 40% from three. And for this series, he's at 28% from three. It, it just felt, it feels like his legs aren't there. It just feels like the defense isn't there. I think they need to start going small and start playing Anderson. They need to start playing Ja, Brooks, and Anderson at the four with some combination of Desmond Bain and DeAnthony Melton out there. Like they, it's some combination of those guys, but I just, I don't think they can keep playing Jaron in crunch time. Yeah, and that that just makes their life so difficult because, like, if you look at the game log of, the, of last night, I mean, Tillman only played seven minutes. Like, they're they're trying to go small. Like, that's kind of the only option they have despite going up against Gobert. And, like, you know, I'm sure, you know, this is a good time for the Brandon Clark discussion who has just fallen out of the rotation who could be, like, a small ball five. I mean, you probably it probably wouldn't be great to play him with Valanciunas because you're giving up a lot of spacing there. Like, even with Jaron Jackson playing bad, like, he at least offers two spacing. I mean, I would imagine – I haven't really noticed it too much, but I'm imagining, like, defenses are going to give him that respect. And Brandon Clark is not going to get any respect with that. Um, and neither is Tillman, really. So, it's like – I just feel like right now Brandon Clark has to be the best of those three guys. And it's just really confusing me how he's just fallen out of this rotation. Like, he is a, a superb defensive player. Like, superb. Does all the things you need your big guy to do. 
I'm very confused. Like, I understand, you know, maybe you're worried about giving up strength against Gobert, but like against Golden State, I'd have rather played. I'd have rather played Clark than Tillman. I can understand Tillman in this matchup, right? You know, personally, I try to stagger it where JV is playing against Favors all the time, but yeah, like <laughs> Favors, man. Oh. He's a good center, but he just behind Gobert, he just looks so bad. I, I feel bad for him because he's not a bad player. I'd rather have favors than like Tristan Thompson in Boston or L. Favors would be making a huge difference in the uh in the Clippers series. But man, I, I just don't understand why Clark isn't playing. It's confusing me. Like he is, I think he just might be a casualty of they have too many guys, as crazy as it is to say. But I don't I don't know what they've seen from Tillman that they like so much personally. Like I like Tillman, don't get me wrong, but I'd rather play Brandon Clark. I, I just don't get it. Like maybe Brandon Xavier, let me check Xavier Tillman's three-point percentage. That might have something to do with it. But I'm just I'm still so confused. Yeah, I don't get it either because the thing is, I mean, yeah, Tillman's bigger and maybe that's what they're going for, but I mean Clark has skill on offense too. Like he can throw lobs to guys, you know? Like he he offers an, an interesting dynamic on offense that they're not getting from any of those other big guys. So I just I don't get it either. And it sucks because I mean he definitely changed his shot. Like just watching him shoot this year compared to last year, he changed it. And he has not been as good. Like his last year in Gonzaga, he started showing flashes with the shooting. Last year, he didn't shoot a bunch, but like they looked pretty good from from the corner mostly which you know as a big man that's fine and this year like god i just don't know what what happened and hopefully they get back into the lab and and fix it because that was a huge like upgrade on his game was having that shot because again like he can do basically everything else he's a little bit undersized and like he can't really jump but he's so skilled on defense and offense otherwise so i just don't i don't get it I don't get it either. It's very confusing for Taylor Jenkins. Like, I feel like if he was playing, hell, the Clippers could really use Rand Clark right now. I'll tell you that much. Hell, like, you know, you just go through the line. The Wizards could really use Brandon Clark. Like, 10 of the 16 teams in the playoffs right now would be, like, if the Heat had Brandon Clark as their backup five instead of Deadman, oh, my God, it might be a different series. You mean you mean game two leading scorer, Dwayne Deadman? <laughs> You're right. I apologize. Sorry, Dwayne, if you're listening to this. Although you're playing a game right now, so I don't know why you would be listening to a podcast while you're while we're recording or while you're playing a game. But hey, you never know. Um, I, I just feel they're, like they're playing it in the arena. That's everyone. right. That's right. I gave the uh, I gave the Heat broadcast um, rights to use this uh, use this audio while they're playing. Two minutes. Dose. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't, unfortunately, I don't know how to play guitar. Otherwise I'd be doing the seven nation army. Um, I don't even know if they still do that at this point, but I mean, okay. I think we've talked about everything that we want to in this series. So I think there's one last question. Do you want to touch on anything else in the series before we move on to last question? Um, I think I'm good. Okay. So, I mean, I think it's safe to say we both think the jazz are going to win this. Do you think the Grizzlies can push it to seven? Ooh. I'm going to say no because, like, I mean, I know that the Jazz, like, went bananas from three 
Like they hit 19 threes. As good as a shooting team as they are, 19 threes every game, probably not super reliable. But it's not like the Grizzlies played a good game. That's the thing. They shot 54% from the field, 35% from three, you know? Like they scored 129 points. And I'm not saying Jock can't score 47 again, but he basically has to do that because I just don't trust the other guys enough. Again, like Kyle Anderson, very low ceiling on offense. Jaron Jackson, just don't trust him right now. Dylan Brooks, again, I think he's probably going to stink it up at some point. And Valanchunas can't score on Gobert. So I, I, I think it's, I don't know, probably five, six at most. I would get, I'll give the Grizzlies another game at home. I think that, you know, they split in Utah. I think they'll split in Memphis and then Utah will. I think, okay, I think Memphis will win game three and then Utah will go win, win, win. I think that Utah is too talented. I, I think that the, the Grizzlies are very talented. Don't get me wrong. But I think that the Jazz have a lot more high-end talent. And I think that's going to be the difference in this series, as fun as it is with the, with the Grizzlies. So, um, Dylan, I believe that's everything we have for today. So I, I forgot to do this at the top of the show. But if you're listening on Apple, please rate, subscribe, and review. Um, leave five stars and tell – you can leave five stars, but you can tell Caleb his opinions suck. Um, I, I give you free reign. So, but make sure you say Dylan's opinions are awesome on music and on, on NBA, you know, that he needs the ego boost, frankly. Um, if you, if you're listening on other platforms, go ahead and give us a follow. If we're not on a platform you would like to listen on, my at is at Alex four. And if, if I said anything you disagree with, my at is at Caleb Lynn one as well. So, um, make sure you, uh, make sure you, you send those opinions over there. Um, from one young soul to another. Okay. I'm going to go into your local grocery store. I'm going to tell them you committed a heinous crime or no, I'm not going to, I'm going to tell them you shoplift from there all the time. I'm going to make sure your, your face is on the wall and you can't get groceries from there anymore. And I, if you listen, Dylan, I would say that's worth $7.50 to buy the book, man. I just don't know how you do it. Like it's every time you say it, I'm like, Oh my God, I would hate if that happened to me. I would hate it. So gosh, I mean, it's, it's worth more than, than that. I would say it's worth 750 cents even. Exactly. So I listen, you know, you have to find ways to inconvenience people hit them where it hurts. That's what I always say. Um, But $5 for the E edition as well. You know, if you like, uh, if you like doing that as well on divine rhyme, what's going on with divine rhyme. I know off season this week, you guys, do you guys record today? I can't remember. Yes. We recorded earlier. Okay, cool. I just need that audio file then. So that should be up at the same time that this is. How'd that go? How'd that go? It was good, man. Um, you know, we obviously had a huge break on Jake Cole. <laughs> just so much time in between the last one. So nice to return to Jake Cole. Um, and major switch up coming. Sturgill Simpson next week. So it's it's going to be fun. Oh, that will be that'll be a blast. So I can't wait to listen to uh, this week's episode of the Vine Rhyme. Um Lynn Sanity is going on a playoff kick right now. Um, Zach and Bryce are going to be on the Monday show. Like usual, that'll be out on Tuesdays. And then JD will be joining Caleb, and then Caleb will more often than not have a guest. I was on this week with JD, and let me tell you guys, I don't do this very often. But J, like, because I think, Dylan, you know, I think I think the world of all our podcast hosts, right? Like, I think that, you know, everyone on this 
calls ridiculously talented. JD had one of the best individual podcast performances. He had basically a John Morant esque performance on the insanity. So make sure you check that out. Um, JD, you know, broke down a lot of things beautifully. He also he made a great point, Dylan, that I want you to uh, I want you to hear personally from my mouth, where he said basically people don't like Kyrie Irving in Boston because he didn't fit their expectations of what they wanted from Kyrie. And then when Kemba gets there, Kemba fit their expectations because they didn't have expectations for Kemba the same way. I think I thought that was a really good point about how people feel about Kyrie in Boston. It made me think about the way I felt about Kyrie in Boston. I mean, that's, and listen, I'm not surprised JD said that because like me and him talk about this kind of stuff all the time, but like, that's just a life lesson in general. Like, we and we do this with athletes so much, but we create these expectations for people, right? Like these high draft picks, for example. You know, Andrew Wiggins being drafted number one overall, we get the expectation he's gonna be a superstar. And when he's not a superstar, the fans of the team that drafted him hate him, right? But that was their fault for thinking he was gonna be good. And it you can apply that to you can apply that to oh, that girlfriend I had wasn't that great either, so I hate her. You know, like you could do it with anything. And sports, I think we see it the most, and I think that's a perfect way to say it because Kyrie, like, just came off a finals win, basically, and he wasn't far removed from that. And, like, he's – at that time, he was one of the hottest players in the league. And Boston was feeling themselves a little bit, and their fans were excited that, hey, Ainge finally pulled the trigger. And did he absolutely, like, trash – a player that just threw his heart on the line for us and played after his sister died and was hurt. Yeah, he did that, but who cares? They got Kyrie and it didn't work out and they got burned for it. So yeah, I think that's a perfect way to say it. Yeah. Shout out JD. But that's the kind of stuff you'll get from JD like that and legit awesome basketball stuff. So make sure you check that out. Um, cinema's kind of slowing down because Zach's doing more playoff watching instead of movie watching. You know, not as much time. I think Zach is discovering what we know, Dylan, after watching all these NBA games all year. There's not a lot of time left when you're watching NBA games for a good amount of time. So, um, but Zach, I'm pretty sure he'll be back relatively soon. Fast nine is coming out and they've, they're up to fast six at this point. So that should be out relatively soon. Um, Triple option pass. Our coulda, woulda, shoulda series. They're going to be doing kind of something a little different. They're going to be covering two teams. Dylan, I might tell you off the air, but, um, it's the Big 12, two Big 12 teams in the playoff era that mm. maybe coulda, shoulda, woulda won the championship. So make sure uh, you listen to that. That should be recording next week. So that'll be a lot of fun. Um, what else? I think I covered all our bases. Oh, Battleground. I don't know when Battleground's going to be back. <laughs> There's a lot going on with the playoff stuff. All the Battleground hosts are actively doing a lot of work. So maybe when like a major football story breaks, or like a, those guys are big fight guys. So maybe I feel like a big fight, but. Um, Battleground might get put on the back burner a little here, but we'll, we'll see. We'll see. Um, I think that's everything I got for the, for the running hook. Oh, facts and stats with JD Hall and then Den of Dorks with DJ Deke. Those are obviously JD's a member of the network. DJ is practically a part of the network. So make sure you check those out. Um, Dylan Hughes, I'm not going to ask you for words of wisdom. Do you have any unwise words for us today? <laughs> um, unwise. Wow. See, I'm not good at that either, but. I, I fooled you though. I got you. It was, yeah, that was toughy. But I will say, as I said, pre pod, man, going back to weather, 
fuck summer. Like I'm just over it. Like I don't, I, we don't get summer break anymore. Well, you, I guess you still do. Cause you're still in school, but like when I'm you taking get to summer the, classes. Okay. See when you get to adult age, it doesn't matter what time of the year it is. It doesn't matter what day of the week it is. Like nothing matters anymore. Like all this schedule stuff is just thrown out the window and it's like hot one day and it's cold the next, all of a sudden it's like, the older I get, the real more I realize like the seasons just cycle and they don't actually matter anymore. That's a good way to close. I mean, maybe that's what I'll just do for now on. I'll just ask you to close with your screens against the weather. <laughs> I, I'll tell you, I, I have not. It's okay. I had surgery last week for the listeners. I've had a lot of free time, but I haven't been able to leave my house because there's really nowhere for me to go. <laughs> like I'm not going to hop around places on crutches if I don't have to. So I've been just in the house, but let me tell you, I'm feeling the Indianapolis humidity is a bitch. And I know you're not in Indianapolis technically, but central Indiana, all the same. Yeah. Like it's a bitch, the humidity. And I don't know how, like, there's not a, like I used to live, you know, my parents live up in Northwest Indiana and we live right by the lake. So it makes sense that it's humid. You guys don't have a lake down here. Why the fuck is it so humid? I mean, really like the whole Eastern part of the country is humid for the most part. Like, I don't understand it. I don't, I don't know. It's just somehow there's so much moisture in the air. And then that's why I like the West, man. Like I've gone to Colorado twice. I went to Texas. Like it's, it's hot, but it's just a different kind of hot. And it's, it's a much more preferable hot, I would say. But I will say I got lucky in Texas where like the, we were there for, I think seven, six or seven days. And it was only hot for like two of them. So we got lucky. I'm sure if I was there a little bit longer, I would have hated it. But, you know, taking humidity out of the question is a big deal. My grandma lives in Arizona. Shout out the Phoenix Suns. And uh, she actually lives like an hour outside of Phoenix, if that. But um, I went there one summer and it was like, it's hot there, but there's no humidity there. Like it's dry heat. But the yeah. problem is, is that it really sneaks up on you because you, you hear the thing like, oh, the desert, it gets cold at night. That's bullshit. The sand traps in the heat. <laughs> so <laughs> it's hot. Like, you know how like here it'll be like 90 during the day, but it'll be like 66 during the nighttime. Yeah. It, during the nighttime there, look, it's like 98. <laughs> so it's not fun. Um, <laughs> that was really unnecessary weather talk, but Dylan, it was worth it. It was worth it. I, we need our, we need weather takes from you. Listen, man, we need some, uh, old man yells at cloud content on this network. We just haven't had it. So I'm here to fill that role. <laughs> you know, if, you know, if you're yelling about the weather, it would literally be old man yells at cloud in a sense. Exactly. So, but, but I would actually welcome some rain. So it's, it's old man yells at blue sky. Yeah, I, I need to turn on the AC. That's the first thing I'm doing after I hop off the Zoom. So I'll, I'll literally be hopping since I'm on crutches. But uh, Dylan Hughes, this was a really wild end of the podcast. <laughs> Dylan Hughes, once again, thank you for joining me. Thank you. Thank you.